An old story about a little boy named Billy. Billy and his family lived in the city. Uh, they found out his dad came home, let him know, let the family know they were going to be moving into the country. Billy was excited to go to the country, you know, big open fields, lots of room to play. And they moved and Billy loved it there except for one thing. In this new house in the country, they did not yet have indoor plumbing. So Billy had to use an outhouse. And Billy was not very excited about using an outhouse, as you can imagine. Uh, in the winter, it was freezing cold outside. In the summer, it blazing hot. Uh, nothing, nothing pleasant about using the outhouse. And so Billy decided one day, he was so tired of that outhouse, he said, when the creek rises, I'm going to push that outhouse into the creek. So he made up his mind. Sure enough, some time passed, the creek rose, and Billy decided, here's my chance. I'm pushing the outhouse into the creek, and he did. It was a little heavier than he thought it was, a little harder to get it in there, but he got it into the creek. Well, a few hours later, his dad comes along, finds him, and says, hey, Billy, do you know anything about the outhouse getting pushed into the creek? Billy thought about it for a minute. He thought about telling a lie, but then he decided, you know what, I'm just going to fess up and, and deal with it. So he told his dad that, yep, he had done it. He said, but listen, Dad, this is how I think you should handle it. If you'll remember the story of George Washington cutting down the cherry tree, he said, Dad, George Washington was honest. He didn't lie. He told his dad that he had done it, and his dad didn't punish him. Well, Billy's dad said there's a difference. George Washington's dad wasn't in the cherry tree when he cut it down. <laughs> we can choose our actions but we can't always choose our consequences, right? That's true in all of life. We can't choose the consequences. And that's a lot of the Ten Commandments. If we break the Ten Commandments, we know there are consequences. And that's certainly true with what we say. We can choose what we say, but we can't choose how our words will affect people. We can't choose the consequences. And with this commandment, that is seen very clearly. We have to watch what we say because what we say is important and what we say has great impact on other people. As we continue our series on the Ten Commandments, this week and one more will be done. Uh, we're, we've been in this series uh, for, this is week uh, 10. We've got one more. Uh, we had an introduction week. We're on the Ninth Commandment today. Uh, and that deals with what we say and how we say it. We've learned how the Ten Commandments are relevant today. They're just as relevant as when God gave them to Moses. And the reason is because they give us a blueprint for how to live in society, a blueprint for a morally excellent society. They show us how to live in a civilized world, to live in a way that pleases God individually, but also corporately as a society, as a church, as a, as a community. And again, they're relevant. They teach us after we're saved, they guide us on God's right road and they guard us against the world's wrong road. They give us guardrails, they give us guidelines, they show us how to live. And we can divide them into two categories. The first four dealing with loving God and relating to Him. The last six dealing with loving others and relating to others. And certainly the ninth commandment deals with that. The ninth commandment is built on the principle of truth and trust. Um, this is important. It's important that we understand the truth 
And it's, under, it's important that we live by the truth, that our words are truthful, that our lives are lives of integrity and consistently consistency. And this is what the, the ninth commandment deals with. Matter of fact, there may not be a more important issue in our culture today than what we're talking about today, the principle of truth and trust. One study showed that 60% of Americans cannot go 10 minutes without telling a lie. Another study showed that 66% of Americans say that it's not wrong to tell at least certain lies. And only 31% agreed with the statement, honesty is the best policy. Uh, Dr. Leonard Keeler invented the lie detector. And he, after, after studying 20, over 25,000 people, this was his conclusion. His conclusion was that human beings are basically dishonest. Um, that's after, after looking at that many people and developing this, this lie detector machine, that was his conclusion. I, I think we see that, right? I mean, we, we, we've all been guilty of telling a lie, even if we consider it a little white lie. We've all done it. We've all been there. So why do we lie? Well, there are some people who believe you can't honestly function, you can't actually function in society without being willing to lie. That in order to get ahead in the world, in order to get by, that you have to be willing to fudge the truth every now and then. There are people who believe that. Some of us here today probably believe that you can't be an adult in the world we live in today and not tell a lie every now and then, especially if you're going to be successful. Um, consider the, the following common white lies and see if you can identify with any of these. Uh, the check's in the mail. As soon as I put it in the mail, right? Uh, you, you get this one, I'll pay for lunch next time. Your luggage isn't lost, it's only misplaced. We can talk to our friends at Unclaimed Baggage about that. Uh, this hurts me more than it hurts you. Parents, you've never said that, right? That's just not true. I mean, maybe emotionally, but physically, I mean... Let's be honest. Y'all didn't hear me say that, kids. <laughs> I just need five minutes of your time. I've heard that one before. Uh, go to the dentist, open wide, this won't hurt a bit. <laughs> hey, let's have lunch sometime. Maybe, maybe not. Somebody breaks up with you, hey, we can still be good friends, right? That never happens. It's not the money, it's the principle. No, usually it's the money. It wasn't my fault. I've heard my kids say that. It wasn't my fault. It was their fault. And listen, this one may hit a little home, close to home. I'll pray for you about that. We say that a lot, don't we? But we don't always mean it. I mean, there, just think of all the times we say things, even what we would consider just little white lies, and we say them, and we just don't think anything of them. We don't think anything about it. Um, does God really care? If we fudge the truth, if we just, you know, bend the truth just a little bit. Well, let's look at the ninth commandment, which says, Exodus 20, 16, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. So what does that mean? We're going to ask a few questions this morning. We're going to ask some questions to answer that question of does God care if we tell the truth or not? The first question is this, that we need to look at is what is the context of this commandment. What does this commandment really mean? You'll read, do not bear false witness. You'll read, do not lie. 
Um, what's, what's the meaning? What's the context? Well, the immediate context, the specific context, is a court of law. If you look in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 19, it, we read that in the Old Testament, if you took someone to court or if you were called to court, if you were going to convict somebody of something, you had to at least have two or three witnesses, at least two. And if you brought a charge against somebody and you as a witness could not prove the charge that you had made against someone else or you were found out to be lying, then you would have to suffer the punishment you were seeking against that person you were charging. It was serious business to give false testimony. Serious business. It is today, but I mean, the consequences were immediate and they were great. And so it, testimony was taken seriously. Got to have two or three witnesses. And if I gave false testimony, the consequences were serious. And listen, the, the punishment was equal to the crime. Eye for an eye, life for a life, etc. I mean, that was, that was the punishment. So. It was serious, serious business in the immediate context, the Old Testament, to give false testimony against somebody else. But that's not where it stops. Look again at the commandment. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. That word false, or that word bear rather, it means to answer, to respond, to testify, to speak, or to shout. To say something about somebody else, to, to answer, to respond, to speak about them. That word false, it's the same word that's used in the third commandment. No, do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. The same word to take something, to say something, to take the Lord's name or to bear witness against somebody in a thoughtless, careless, or flippant way. The word neighbor, that doesn't just mean the person next to you. This word in context means basically anybody that you come into contact with, anybody that you meet, anybody whose path you cross at some point. So the idea here is that you are not to bear false witness. You're not to say anything, testify in any way against your neighbor, your acquaintance, anybody that you know, to speak of them in a careless, thoughtless, or flippant way. That's the immediate meaning. The, the, the initial meaning of this is that we should be careful what we say about other people. And we should be truthful in what we say. Again, the immediate context being the court of law, serious business to bring false testimony against somebody else. So we have to be careful what we say. Even further though, most Bible scholars take this commandment and expand it to simply say, do not lie, which is an application from this, that we should be truthful. With the phrase, do not lie, we take the principle that I just said, we expand it to mean anytime, anywhere, we should speak the truth in love. That should just be a baseline policy for us, that as followers of Christ, as God's people, we should be trustworthy anytime, anywhere, wherever we are, whoever we're with, whoever we're talking about, whatever we're talking about. We should speak the truth in love. Look at Ephesians 4.15. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up in him who is the head, that is Christ. So the general context here is do not tell a lie at all, anywhere, anytime, anyplace. That's the context about anybody. All right? 
Think about this. The Israelites, they are on, God's giving them these commandments because they're on the brink of entering the promised land, right? And God is telling them, here's how you function in this new land that I'm going to give you. Here's how you build a society that honors me. Here's how you function in a way that honors me. And truth was a foundational principle upon which they were to build this society. Well, nothing's changed. I mean, 21st century, it's the same thing. Truth and trust are foundational to building a society that honors God. We're talking about Ten Commandments being a blueprint for a morally excellent society. Well, truth is the foundation to that. We build it on the truth and all that that encompasses, what the truth is, who the truth is. It's, it's foundational. Ephesians 4.25, since you put away lying, speak the truth, each one to his neighbor, because we are all members of one another. Lying destroys the fabric of the new community in Christ. The community that we have as followers of Christ, the family of God, the body of Christ, lying destroys the fabric of that. This commandment is rooted in the character and the nature of God. God is described, he is called the God of truth in Isaiah 65, 16. Jesus said about himself, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. John 14, 6, no man comes to the Father except by me. God is the truth. He's not just a truth, he is the truth. Lying is an abomination to who he is, to him. So with that, we need to know what not to do. We want to avoid lying. So what is it? Let's define it. Let's be clear on what lying is. Lying is misrepresenting the truth. That's one definition of lying, is to misrepresent the truth. Another definition is to say something that's false, either to misrepresent something or to just outright say something that's not true, that's completely false. In 1 Timothy 6, 20 and 21, Paul says, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding irreverent, empty speech and contradictions from the knowledge that falsely bears that name. By professing it, some people have deviated from the faith. Grace be with all of you. And then in 2 Timothy 2, 16, Paul says, avoid irreverent, empty speech, for this will produce an even greater measure of godlessness. We need to be careful what we say. Don't say anything that's false. Don't misrepresent the truth. Understanding the context shows us that we should not lie anywhere about anyone, about anything. Now we need to ask, what are the causes of lying? If we understand that truth is important, that we should not lie, the commandment's very clear, that we should not speak falsely against someone else, then why do we do it? What causes us to do this? Well, we know that the father of lies is Satan. In John 8, Jesus said to the unbelieving Jews and Pharisees, he said, you are of your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has not stood in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature. Why? Because he is a liar and the father of liars. I mean, lying began with him. He is the originator. He is the inventor of lying. And so according to Jesus, lying borrows from the language of the devil. As a matter of fact, when you're lying, you're acting like the devil. He is the father of lies. So it originated with him. And, and, and the, the, the bottom line is honesty is of God. Lying is of the devil. Truth is God. Lying is Satan. I mean, that's the, the, 
God is the truth, so he is the originator of truth. Satan is the father of lies, so he is the originator of lying. So it originates with him, but then there's a choice that's made by each individual. There's a choice that's made to lie. It's a personal choice with personal responsibility. When I tell a lie, it's on me. I make that choice. So why do we do it? Well, the different kinds of lies will help us answer that question. Mark Twain said there are 869 different types of lies. We won't look at all those this morning, but we are going to look at some common forms of lying. One is just the cruel lie, destructive, hateful, out of just meanness, hatred, jealousy, anger. This would include character assassination, which we see in many different forms in our culture today, right? Social media. Uh, uh, internet makes, uh, makes it possible for character assassination to go vi- viral. Um, slander, malice, I mean, we, we, we do these things and we do it in a very flippant way because, you know, it's easy to hide behind a computer screen or a device. Um, character assassination, this would include gossip. We talked about gossip. Um, that's, that's giving false testimony. That's, you're guilty of the ninth commandment. You're spreading something about somebody else that's not true, or you don't know if it's true. Um, so if you're addicted to gossip and addicted to hearing things about people, then you need to stop. I mean, that's, that's a sin. It, you're guilty of the ninth commandment. If, you're, if you gossip, if you participate in speculation, rumor, especially about the private affairs of others. That's gossip. Proverbs eleven thirteen tells us a gossip goes around revealing a secret, but a trustworthy person keeps a confidence, keeps confidence. Proverbs sixteen twenty eight: a contrary man spreads conflict and a gossip separates close friends. It's divisive and you're guilty of the ninth commandment. There's also the conceited lie. That's another type of lie. This is when you tell a lie to impress somebody. Maybe it's because you have low self-esteem. Maybe you're trying to build a name for yourself, but you, 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 know, you bend the truth just a little bit to make yourself look better. Pride is a huge factor here. Um, you know, most of us like to, to behave like we've got it all together. We want to give the appearance that, that we've got it under control, our lives. And if anything ever questions that, or if, or if we feel insecure, the temptation is to tell a lie to cover up our insecurities, to make it look like that we really do have, have it together. The problem is, is that lie breeds another lie, and, and so on and so forth. But pride's a huge factor. Sometimes we tell lies just to cover up things that we don't like about ourselves, or to make it appear that we have it all together. There's the convenient lie. Sometimes it's easier to lie than to tell the truth. All right. Your wife asks you, do you like this dress on me? <laughs> if you don't, you don't want to say that, right? You like the present I got you for Christmas last year. If you don't, you don't want to be mean, right? So you tell a story. Um, it's convenient sometimes. Hey, I didn't see anything. You know, you're questioned about something. I don't want to get involved. It's easier just to stay out of it, right? I mean, you know, that, that, that it may be convenient, and it may be the path of least resistance, which is the reason we tell lies a lot of time, but it still does not make it right. It's convenient. This could be greed. could be I do it because it's convenient for me. I can lie to get what I want. It could be to gain an advantage, cheating on your taxes, underreporting your income so that you can get more in return. could be lying on your resume. I graduated from the University of Blank when in actuality you just went there. You didn't actually get a diploma. I mean, or fudging your resume in some other way. It's convenient. 
get ahead. Could also be for the purpose of, of sparing others' feelings. Like I said, you don't want to tell the truth because you don't want to hurt their feelings, whatever, whoever they are. It could be, again, that in that moment, it's just the path of least resistance. Greg uh, Wetmore in a Reader's Digest article talks about a story of a manager who was asked for a reference from one of his employees who was not, was lazy, the laziest employee he had. And he stayed up all night trying to think of something that he could say that wouldn't destroy this employee's chance of getting another job, but he was lazy. So here's what he came up with. He wrote, you will be lucky if you can get him to work for you. <laughs> it's not exactly false, but misleading, right? Here, here's, here, here's a few. Robert Thornton, a professor at Lehigh University, came up with what he's called a collection of virtually litigation-proof statements. And here's what he calls it. The lexicon of intention, intentionally ambiguous recommendations. Now, look at the underline letters. What does that spell? So what he's done is he's come up with a series of statements that you can give that are misleading but not entirely untrue. And here are just a couple of them. To describe an inept person, you can say, I enthusiastically recommend this candidate with no qualifications whatsoever. <laughs> think about it. You got to think about these. I know I'm making you work before lunch, but you got to think about them. To describe an ex-employee who had problems getting along with fellow workers, I am pleased to say that this candidate is a former colleague of mine. To describe an unproductive candidate, I can assure you that no person would be better for the job. No person would be. All right, you'll get it later. To describe an applicant not worth consideration, I would urge you to waste no time in making this candidate an offer of employment. Don't waste any time making an offer. I mean, very creative, right? But incredibly misleading. And that's what some of our lies are. I mean, they're not, you know, they're half-truths or they're just sort of true, but they're, they're misleading. But it's still, if it's untrue, it's a lie. Convenient lies. Another kind of lie is the careless lie. It could be it's just habit. You know, you're just in the habit of, of telling a lie because it's the easiest thing or whatever. And you say it's just a little white lie, but Proverbs 11.3 says, The integrity of the upright guides them, but the perversity of the treacherous destroys them. Austin O'Malley made an incredible observation. He said, a lie has no legs. It requires other lies to support it. Tell one lie and you're forced to tell others to back it up. Stretching the truth won't make it last any longer. Those that think it permissible to tell white lies soon grow colorblind. It becomes difficult to tell between a white lie and a different color lie, whatever color that is. One of the biggest lies that we tell ourselves is it's just a little white lie. It's not hurting anybody, so it's okay. But nothing could be further from the truth. The no another kind of lie is the cowardly lie. Out of fear. This is like the kid who, who didn't do his homework and says, my dog ate my homework. You're afraid of the consequences. Afraid of what will happen if somebody finds out the truth. You don't want to tell the truth. This could be just to save face. Like if you go to the dentist and the dentist asks you if you've been flossing. Well, yeah, of course. Go to the DMV and they ask, is everything correct on your license still, your height, your weight, whatever? <laughs> I mean, these little, little white lies we say 
But, you know, out of embarrassment. We don't want people to know the truth. We're afraid of what they'll think. We're afraid of what the consequences might be. So we bend the truth. There's also the concealing lie to cover up. We lie to God as if that does any good. We try to cover up things that we do. We lie to our spouse. We lie to our friends. We fail to see, though, how it hurts other people, how our words, how our lies affect other people. This includes exaggeration. We, we rationalize these little white lies. If I exaggerate, make myself look better or make the situation appear better than it is, it's not, it's not really hurting. It's actually helping. That's what we tell ourselves. Or we tell half-truths. We tell, like those statements, uh, we, we tell a little bit. It's just enough truth to sound right, to make it sound good, but it's, it's misleading. Just half-truths, shading the truth. We lie, we rationalize, and the whole time we think, oh, we, we tell ourselves it's not hurting anybody else. It's just a little white lie. Nobody's getting hurt. But the truth is, lies have consequences. So our next question, what are the consequences of lying? Why is this serious business? Why does God take this so seriously that it's one of the Ten Commandments? Well, Proverbs 10.10 says, someone who holds back the truth causes trouble. I mean, lying denies the truth, which is perhaps the most serious thing because of not what, but who the truth is. I mean, God is truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. And so if we deny the truth, who are we denying? We're denying God. And as a result, denying God, we're placing ourselves in a form of bondage. I mean, bondage to the lie itself, bondage to the consequences, bondage of separation from God because of our dishonesty. It could be legally, socially, emotionally, spiritually, relationally. I mean, there are different forms of bondage, different consequences. It denies the truth and it also devastates trust, which relationally is the greatest consequence. Once I tell a lie and you find that out, it's very hard to trust me, right? Frederick Frederick Nietzsche made an observation, clarified this by saying that when someone lies to me, he said, what upsets me is not that you lied to me, but from now on, I can no longer believe you. That's really the worst part of it, isn't it? It's not so much that you lied, but now I can't believe, I can't trust you anymore. And trust is a fragile, fragile thing. Once it's broken, it's difficult to get back. Lying devastates trust, and it destroys my testimony. John Wesley once said, I would not tell one lie to save the souls of all the world. Why did he say that? Well, no, no lie, regardless of your intentions, no lie is worth sacrificing your testimony for Christ. Because once you are found to be untrustworthy, then why would anybody believe anything you say about the answers to life's greatest questions. Why are we here? What happens after we die? How, do we, how are we saved? No lie is worth the damage that it does to your testimony. The consequences are just too great. But how do we keep from breaking the ninth commandment? Understanding the consequences, understanding what it means, what lying is, why we do it, how do we keep from breaking it? That's the next question, leads to the next question. In order to understand how we keep from breaking it, we need to get behind just the actual commandment itself to the calling behind the commandment. What's the actual calling behind it? Why, what is God, what's the motivation here? Well, it's a call, it's not just to be honest, it is, but it's a calling 
to be dedicated to the truth. We as followers of Christ, as God's children, because He is truth and because we love Him and because He tells us to, we should pursue truth with a passion. We should want to know the truth and live by the truth. And so we should pursue truth. It's also a call to, to be able to discern the truth. We can't know the truth on our own. None of us can. We, we don't, we're not wise enough. We don't have the ability. But through the Holy Spirit who takes up residence in us, we are shown the truth of God and His Word. We can learn the truth because of God living in us and giving us understanding. We can discern it. For the follower of Christ, truth exists because truth is immediately connected with a person, Jesus Christ. It's not about a thing, it's about a person. Truth is not, uh, it's not a truth, it's He is the truth. Jesus is the truth. Truth is, isn't an abstract idea, it's an attribute of God. Jesus claimed to be the truth personified. John 14, 6, I quoted a few minutes ago. Jesus' words are true and faithful. The Holy Spirit leads us into truth. John 16, 13. The Bible teaches us to know the truth. John 8, 32, to do the truth. John 3, 21, and abide in the truth. John 8, 44, our position in Christ rests in the truth. James 1, 18. Truth is found in God's word, the Bible, and it must be obeyed according to Romans 2, 8 and Galatians 5, 7. Truth exists, but we must make a commitment to pursuing the truth the living truth that's found in Jesus and His Word. Our, you know, we, we recognize the truth, we believe in the truth, and so now our response should be pursuing the truth. It's pursuing a relationship with Christ, knowing the truth, living by the truth, applying the truth to our lives, knowing the person of truth, Jesus. This is also a call to discipline in the truth. We know the truth, we have a desire to pursue the truth, and now it takes discipline to take the truth and apply it to our lives, to live by it. That's, where the, that's the tricky part. Knowing it and living by it is two different things, but we have to have discipline. Ecclesiastes 3.7 reminds us there's a time to be silent and a time to speak. So in terms of just the tongue, the discipline, it means taming the tongue, knowing what to say and when, and knowing when to be quiet. I mean, there, there, there's a time for us to speak, and then there's a time, not even just truth, untruth, there's a time for us to sit back and listen to the Lord or whoever He places in our life. In addition, this is a call to devotion to Jesus, who is the truth. We're pursuing the truth. We are pursuing not, not an abstract idea, not a concept, but a person. Lying's a worship issue, bottom line. Why is that the case? How is it a worship issue? Well, since truth... Since God is truth, when we violate God, when we violate the truth, we're violating God. And here's the problem. It messes up our worship because it's impossible to enjoy a relationship with somebody that you violated. When we lie, we're violating the truth. The truth is God. And so we can't have a healthy relationship with somebody that we've hurt, abused, offended. And that's what we're doing when we're telling lies. Lying is a worship issue and it's a lordship issue if you don't make jesus lord you're going to make something else lord or someone else lord ephesians 2 verse 1 paul said you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world 
According to the ruler who exercises authority over the lower heavens, the spirit now working in the disobedient. Here's the reality. If you're not in Christ, then you're following another Lord. It may be yourself. But if you're not following Jesus, you're following something. You have a worldview. You have a belief system. You're living according to something. And if you're not following Jesus, you're following another Lord. And again, John 8, 44, Jesus says, You are your father of your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he has not stood in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of lies. In Genesis 2.13, we hear Eve saying that the serpent lied to me and I ate, responding to why she ate the, the forbidden fruit. So there is another Lord, and that's the serpent. There was a story a few years back, uh, Air Mexico. They make a flight to Mexico City once a day, a two-hour flight, and they got mid-flight or they got up in the air and realized that somehow a snake had gotten on board the plane. And if you're like me, you don't like snakes. And I'm sure many people on that flight detest snakes. Well, they, it, was a, it was a poisonous snake, and they had to make a, not quite emergency, but an expedited landing. I don't know what the difference is, but they had to make a quick landing. But in the interview afterwards, very common sense, one of the employees for the airline said, I, the first thing we're going to do is find out how the snake got on board so we can avoid it happening again. Well, I would hope so, right? I mean, you don't want that. Nobody wants that. So, you know, I'm reading this story and I'm thinking about, and the reason I, I, I kind of kept it, and it's, it's always kind of been there, is you know, how many of us have allowed the crafty serpent to kind of slither into our lives? We may not even know it. We've allowed him to get a foothold, Satan to get a foothold. We need to follow the advice of the airline. We need to first, we need to find out how he got there, and we need to plug whatever hole let him in and take whatever measures are necessary to keep that from happening because it can happen a lot quicker than you think. You, do, you turn over part of your life, and before you know it, your life is dedicated, devoted to something other than Christ. And anything, if your life is not devoted to Christ, then you're following another Lord. And the God of this world is Satan himself. Here's the question, who is Lord? This is a Lordship issue. This commandment is also a call to demonstration of truth, integrity in our life's consistency. Another story from uh, the 30s, a guy by the name of, of Han Van Magieren. He was a, a, an artist, and he was, was known as being basically, uh, he was criticized early in his career for being basically a good, a good copy. He was, there was no originality, and he took great offense to that. So he decided he would kind of stick it to the art world. And so he decided to become a forger. And he spent about six years studying an artist named Johannes Vermeer. You may have heard of him. He studied everything about him, the colors that he used, his brush strokes, even his personal lifestyle, so that he could imitate this artist. And he got really, really good at it. Except that, and he began to sell these paintings, but he made a mistake. Uh, he accidentally sold one of his forgeries to a Nazi during World War II. It wasn't just any Nazi, it was Hitler's right-hand man. Well, after the Allied forces pushed their way through and, and began to uh, dismantle 
Uh, the Nazi organization, everything connected to it, began to put people on trial for war crimes and all this sort of stuff. They found in the possession of this former, now former Nazi, uh, Hermann Goring, they found in his possession one of McGeeran's paintings. But see, here's the thing. The Nazis had stolen a lot of art during World War II and committed fraud and all these, these sorts of things. And so this guy now is connected with the Nazis. McGeeran's in trouble. Because now he's accused of aiding and abetting the enemy, committing fraud, all these sorts of things. So in order to convince the allied forces, he's on trial, he has to convince them that he didn't participate in, inst- in stealing art. He had to convince them that he actually painted this, that this wasn't uh, another painting. So he, for six months, in front of a jury, paints this painting and shows them that he can, in fact, do this. He spent, he was still sentenced to a year in prison, and before he could get out of prison, he died of a heart attack, which is sad. But, but in this story, he was interviewed, while in prison, he was interviewed and asked why he chose to do what he did. Why he chose, with obvious talent, to become an art forger instead of creating his own art. And he said this, He said, it has something to do with something my father, what my father told me when I was a small child. He said, my father told me, you are a cheat and you will always be a cheat. So just a few words from his father impacted the rest of his life. Our words matter. What we say can have great impact you know, we look at James 3 and it talks about how the tongue has the, about, the ability to give life or take it away. That's serious. That's real. What we say has great impact on the people that are in our lives, the people that we care about or the people that we don't care about. We can create great scars, deep scars. What we say has consequences. We need to practice simple honesty and integrity and love in our speech, which leads us to the last question. What is the compliment behind this commandment? Because the compliment to the commandment is what makes it so full and rich and important. And, and that's simply that the child of God, we are to be motivated by love. What we do, we should be motivated by love. Love produces all sorts of good things, but one of the things it produces is self-control. And it, and it motivates us to watch what we say because we care about other people. There's a time to speak, a time to be quiet. Proverbs 16, 23 says, A wise heart instructs its mouth and increases learning with its speech. Wisdom is shown in the ability to control what you say. One of the ways wisdom is shown. And then, of course, the love passage in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1, If I speak human or angelic languages, but do not have love, I am a sounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains, but do not have love, I'm nothing. And if I donate all my goods to feed the poor, and I give my body in order to boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. As, as followers of Christ, we should be defined by love characterized by love and we need to practice speaking the truth in love Ephesians 4 15 again speak the truth in love we will in all things if we do that we will in all things grow 
up into him who is the head, that is Christ. Why do we do this? Because speaking the truth, being truthful, is a key ingredient to growing up to become like Jesus. In speaking the truth, in living the truth, we become like Christ. And that's, that's really the goal. In the process of sanctification, becoming like Jesus, speaking the truth is a key ingredient in that. We as children of God should be maturing in love. But the real problem, Matthew 12, 34, out of the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. So it goes back to what are, what, what's in here to begin with. What am I putting in my heart, my life? If I'm feeding on the truth of God's word, fellowship with Christ, relationship with Christ, fellowship with his people, then if I'm feeding that, then that's what will come out. But if I'm feeding other things, untruths or whatever, eventually that's what's going to come out. And, and we live in a world where truth is, is a difficult thing. You know, a lot of different interpretations of what truth is. What your truth is yours. I've got my truth. Don't try to force your truth on me. And it's going to get worse as time goes on in the last days. 2 Thessalonians 2.11, For this reason God sends them powerful delusions so that they will believe the lie. The more we cozy up to untruths, to lies the easier it's going to be. And eventually in the last days, a lot of people are going to fall, are going to be deceived. They're not going to see the truth and believe the truth when it's right in front of them. So now you and I should be dedicated, committed to seeking the truth and preserving the truth. The fact is, we are all guilty. We're all guilty of of the lie. I mean, we've sinned. We've fallen short of the glory of God. And, and what this commandment is telling us is that it's, it's more than just being good truth-telling people. This is about more than just being good folks, right? Being honest. It goes deeper than that. This is about giving my life to the one person who's never told a lie ever, Jesus Christ. It's seeking Him, giving my life to Him, and living His way. Because what, what we see, what happens when we do that, when we give our lives to Christ, then we are set free from sin and we are motivated by the grace of God to live for the truth and by the truth. It's not the other way around. Hey, I'm going to be an honest person. I'm going to be good. No, I'm going to seek the Lord. I'm going to seek His kingdom. And then everything else will be added to me, including living by the truth. But at the heart of this command, it's about more than just saying honest things. Again, the compliment, it's about love which motivates those things. Just like that story of the art forger, McGeeran. What we say has great impact, whether it's a lie or whether it's just something hateful. And we need to think about how our words can affect other people. Because our testimony is so very fragile and so very important. Our call to invest in the lives of others through discipleship. Proverbs 12, this isn't in your notes or on the screen, but I want to read it for you. Proverbs 12 verse 18 says, There is one who speaks rashly, like a piercing sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue only for a moment. I want to... Very simple illustration, but 
it, it, it graphically illustrates what, what I'm talking about. Our words have great impact, right? I've got a glass of water, a vase of water, and food coloring. How much of this food coloring would it take to color this water? One drop. One drop is all it takes to color this water. How many words would it take for me to positively or negatively impact your life? One word. It just takes a few words. One word. What we say can positively impact others or negatively impact others. If I say something positive to you, that could make your whole day, right? Encourage you to, to continue to serve the Lord when you're ready to give up. To do something when, when you don't think you can. But if I say, especially with our kids, if I say something negative, the scars can go so deep, they can last a lifetime. All it takes is a few words. We, we minimize at our own peril and the peril of others the impact of our words. Now, whether it's a lie, an insult, or whatever, the impact goes deep with one word. But how about several words? I mean, you tell one lie that leads to another lie that leads to another lie that leads to... That's usually how it works, right? I mean, it's just, again, lies, they can't stand on their own. It leads to more and more and more. And before you know it, this is what you've done to somebody else, whether it's an insult or just dishonesty. You have scarred them deeply. Now, how can I get the food coloring out of this water now? Is it possible? I don't know, maybe it was some kind of high-tech filter that, that, that one of you guys could invent, some of my engineers here, but I don't know of anything, and I can't just do it right now. And listen, when you, when you tell a lie or you say something, you can apologize, right? And you can make amends, but there's still going to be scars, aren't there? I mean, you can, you, you know, it's not like it's the unforgivable sin. It is forgivable, and there's restoration, but the point is, what I say, once I've said it, it's, it's there. I can't take it back. And I can apologize, but the damage is done. The scars are there. And, and, and one word can take years to mend the damage caused by one phrase or one word. What we say matters. You know, we, we think about, we think little white lies, it's not hurting anybody. Nobody cares what I think. I'm just speaking my mind. But the Bible clearly connects wisdom with the words that come out of my mouth. What we're talking about here is not just, again, not just a dedication to speaking the truth, being good, honest folks. That's important. What we're talking about here is the question of love. Do I love others enough to invest positively in their lives through what I say? Or do I care so little about them that I'm willing to say whatever, no matter the damage that it caused? causes, sometimes irreparable damage. The motivation has got to be love. Following this commandment, it's about love. It's about investing in others. It's about telling the truth, yes, but it's also about legacy. It's about leaving a legacy of love and truth and wanting to build the kingdom of God and using my words to do that. Following this commandment requires truth, a dedication, commitment to truth, not just the concept, but the person of truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Again, John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. We're talking about legacy. The only way you can know that you build a legacy 
that lasts for eternity is, that, is when you live for the truth, the person of Jesus Christ. Give your life to Him and Him alone and allow Him to have complete and total reign over your tongue and every aspect of your life. To know the truth and have the truth set you free. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your gift of truth, your son Jesus. Jesus, you, you not only show us the truth, what the, the idea of truth is, you personify truth. You are the truth. And we can know the truth because we can know you personally. Lord, I pray that you would give each of us a passion and a desire to know you more each day. A passion and a desire for the truth to know your word, to know your instructions for our lives, to live by your instructions, to dedicate ourselves 100% to living life your way. That's what the Ten Commandments are about, living a life that is pleasing to you, knowing how to do that. And we understand that truth is a foundational principle to doing that, to building a life, to building a society that is morally excellent. And that is our desire Lord, we know that begins, knowing the truth begins with knowing you. And the only way that's possible is through the salvation, Jesus, that you provide through your death, burial, and resurrection on the cross. Lord, I pray that if there's somebody here today who doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, that they would come during this time of commitment and allow me to share with them how to make that decision. I pray that if there are others, others here who are struggling with truth, struggling with consistency, living for you, whatever it is, if there are other decisions that need to be made, I pray that we would be faithful and obedient to respond to your word now in this moment. If you're leading some to join this church or to be baptized, whatever it is, Lord, I pray that we would just hear your voice clearly in this moment and respond faithfully and obediently in this moment. Lord, thank you for giving us the opportunity to respond to your word. May we honor you with what we do in this moment and beyond. For it's in Jesus' name that we do pray. Amen. Would you stand for a time of commitment?